Hello and welcome to another episode of Critical Darkness. I am your host, Skylar. And I'm your host, Jesse. This is Critical Darkness, a true crime podcast where I, Skylar, tell Jesse a story that she isn't aware of. It's true. He sits here and he reads and researches and I have no idea what he's researching. Exactly. So, you ready for this episode? I think so. I'm a little bit nervous because I'm scared that it's going to be gruesome. It might be. I I think it might be, but I don't know. I never know what to expect. And I will say ahead of time, obviously this is a podcast that is going to discuss mayhem, murder, crime. Serious shit. So <laughs> if you're sensitive to that, if you get triggered by gruesome murders and things like that, this is probably not the podcast for you. Yeah. And I'd also like to say that I think sometimes humans react in different ways to hearing, you know, different things. And so if it seems like Skylar and I are taking something lighthearted, just know that we actually feel serious about what we're talking about. <laughs> but sometimes it comes off like no big deal. Yeah, especially this story. Oh. So Okay. <laughs> now I'm extra nervous. So, am I gonna have nightmares tonight? I don't know. I'm not in your brain. Okay, well, so I haven't heard of this story before. I actually had a co worker bring it up. He was in this part of Utah. So, again, we're having another Utah episode. Only because he told me that he heard of this happening. And so I did a quick Google search and found the details. But surprisingly, there's not a lot of details to what happened. And part of that is because originally there was a gag order put out by the judge to the news. To where they weren't allowed to talk about it. Interesting. I wonder how that even works. Like, how is that even okay? Well, you have a open court system or closed court, and there's obviously news people inside the courtroom that are allowed, but the judge can say, I put a gag order on you, and if you guys talk about it, then you'll... You can go to jail? Go to jail. Jeez. Okay, so when you talked to your friend about it, he just had heard about it. He yeah, didn't know too much about it, but it was kind of like hearsay. No, he just had an old guy there that was probably in his 80s that mentioned it, mentioned that this had happened. Interesting. And so he told me a, a very gruesome detail about it, and I found it. Okay. All right, so there's a few places where I've read different stories about this case, but I am going to read primarily from this website that I actually just found moments ago. Um, this website is run by Ben Williams, and the website is benwilliamsblogger.blogspot.com. There was also a 
Spectrum, which is a St. George newspaper, there was a Spectrum news article that was done. And originally I was going to read from that because it had some details. Um, but I'm just going to primarily read from Ben Williams' blog. So it says... 1988 Gordon Ray Church by Ben Williams. The murder of Gordon Church, a drama student at Cedar City, Utah, was no accident. It was truly a vicious hate crime, even more atrocious than the attack on Harold Hawker. In fact, the murder of Gordon Church was described by Salt Lake Tribune reporter Chris Jorgensen as the most appalling murder he had ever covered and possibly the most depraved in Utah's history. And so... Uh, Chris Jorgensen, he'll actually come up in a little bit. He's he's a little bit of a newscaster hero, if you will. Okay. Now, this is the year that I was born. There you go. There you go. So, it goes on to say, However, outside of the gay community and the legal system, few people in the state are aware of it. Gordon Church's murder ranks in savagery, with the Ogden Hi-Fi murders, but because Church was a closet gay man whose family were prominent Mormons in the Delta, Utah, the judge of Millard County ordered a gag rule on the case. Only after Salt Lake Tribune reporter Chris Jorgensen threatened to file a lawsuit was the order lifted. Wow, so he really stuck his neck out. Yep. He says... I became aware of the death of Gordon Church from Chris Brown, president of the Lesbian and Gay Student Union. I imagine he heard about it from what I call the gay grapevine. I remember him telling me that Church's death was another reason for him to hate straight people. Brown, being a college student himself, really took the murder hard, especially as the gruesome details came to light, not from newspaper accounts, but from leaks from the Homicide Division to gay people in southern Utah who brought the news north. On 14 December 1988, I wrote about this murder in my journal, stating that, quote, Becky Moss called me this evening to tell me about this reporter, Chris Jorgensen of the Salt Lake Tribune, who called her. He is doing a news story on the Gordon Church murder, and he wanted to talk to someone in the gay community about how to handle gay-sensitive news stories. She wanted me to call him back, so I did. He said that his dilemma was how to treat something as a gay bashing without outing the person who is a victim of gay violence. I told him that just because a person is attacked because someone thinks he's gay does not mean the person is gay. However, if a person is attacked because he is perceived to be gay, whether the person is gay or not, it is still a gay bashing crime. Well, yeah. So... He because the intent then, is to hurt a gay person, even if they're gay or not. Yeah. So back right. then, um, this reporter wanted to find out how he should go about talking about the case, because if the person is closeted as gay, how do I talk about this as gay bashing or a gay crime? Yeah. Without well, especially back then, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So without like having this person now be outed. So it goes on to say, Jorgensen wanted some guidelines from the gay community on how to write gay-sensitive stories, and I said that I would contact the Gay and Lesbian Community Council of Utah and have someone from that organization meet with him on the 23rd. He also confirmed what Chris Brown told me last month. The judge had put a gag order on the case, and this reporter is going to court to get it lifted. 
He also said that the Millard County Sheriff is treating this case as, quote, if this guy wouldn't have been a faggot, we wouldn't be spending the holidays investigating this case, end quote. Jeez. Wow, well, that tells you a lot right there. Yeah. (laughs) Millard County is also mad about how much this faggot murder case will cost the county. That's what the judge said, too? I'm not sure who said that part. I mean, though those words are so awful. Like, I'm not usually that affected by the word faggot. Like, let's be honest. People use it pretty loosely. But when you're talking about someone that's been murdered and it's yeah. being used like that, I mean, it's never okay to be using it, let's be honest. But people do use it loosely. But in this situation, it just makes you rethink that word in general, really. Yeah. So it goes on to say, I'm glad that other decent people like Jorgensen are as incensed over the senseless murder as I am. I did not know this boy, but hope I can be instrumental in helping his murder come out and not be covered up as a little bit of a nasty embarrassment to the, quote, good people of Delta, Utah. I first called Chris Brown if he would go with me, but he will be home in Portland for the holidays. So I contacted Curtis Jensen and Val Mansfield, and they agreed to go with me, end quote. After writing this, I've always tried to keep my vow that the murder of Gordon Church should be remembered. And I'm just interjecting to say, part of me wanted to do this story right now um, because I also don't want this to be just a small story out of Utah. Yeah, I I don't think I I'm kind of shocked that I don't hear anybody. I've never heard it mentioned. I've never heard anything about it, and I feel like murder murder cases like this are usually a pretty big deal. So it's pretty sickening that it's been secret basically. One of the reasons is because Back in these times, I mean, being gay wasn't good for anybody wherever you were, but especially in Utah with a big Mormon or uh, religious, church, culture. religious culture, there was speculation from news articles that I've read where his parents were, as it said above, when I, f- when I first started, they were affluential. And so to have... To have that come out as them having a gay son, the you speculation could, is that it wasn't good for them. Whereas yeah. you have Shepard, right, who was murdered. Do you remember that case? Uh-uh. So Matthew Shepard, he was murdered for being gay um, 10 years after this case, so 1998. Um, the difference was is that this became a national headline And also his parents, especially his mom, I believe. I don't know if it's his parents, but at least his mom wrote a book about it. Wait, this was in Utah as well? No. Oh, gosh. I was like, geez. No. He was was, um, attending the University of Wyoming. Oh, okay. Oh, geez. But when you have... When you have a mother who is not ashamed of their son and willing to stand up for him and write about it and bring it to attention versus this one, which was... Everyone's keeping silent. Yeah, swept under a rug. Jeez, yeah. All right, so continuing on, it says, on 23rd November, 1988. So 
What's around uh, November 23rd? Thanksgiving. Yep. So that's why it said, you know, on this holiday. Okay. So it said, Gordon Church was brutally murdered in Millard County by Michael Anthony Archuleta and Lance Conway Wood. It was one of the most sadistic murders in the history of the state. However, only a few people were aware of the torture killing because the Millard County judge placed a gag order over the case to protect a prominent Mormon family in Delta from the public knowledge and embarrassment that their son was gay. In 1981, Michael Archuleta, at the age of 18, went to prison for stealing a gun. He was paroled a year later, but five years later was back in prison for selling drugs. While doing time... Archuleta met fellow inmate 18-year-old Lance Conway Wood. Wood claimed that the older Archuleta began to dominate the relationship while in prison physically and emotionally. Does that mean that they were involved in something that was... You don't have to beat around the bush. (laughs) Were they together romantically then? I don't know. I, I mean, that's... What I'm getting at, it's so interesting that these two people did this, but they're entering into physical and emotional relations with each other. So, and the other thing that I noticed from this article is that, or this um, story that that Ben Williams did, um, he takes things from both people's sides. So you have to remember there's two people involved, so they both have different stories. Mm -hmm. Someone will claim that someone did something that the other person is claiming that the The other other person person did. So um, there, I have read other news articles where family members even, because as you know, this was only in 88. There's people alive. Oh, yeah. Nobody's alive from the last case I did. It's only 31 years old. So... For anyone who is related to Gordon Ray Church who might stumble across this recording and listening to this, it is no way my intention to state that I know factual information. I can only go off of what is written and... Try to piece it together. Piece it together. Yeah. You're observing the story that hasn't been told very much that needs to be told. But either way, what happened was tragic and I don't want it to be forgotten. And so if some of the information is wrong, it is not intentionally to be wrong. And either way, this is more to bring light upon the murder of Gordon Ray Church. Yes. And I would like to say that if you do know something more about the case and you're comfortable, then, of course, email. Reach out if you feel comfortable. And all our contact information will be at the end of the show. Yeah. All right. So Wood claimed that the older Archuleta began to dominate the relationship while in prison physically and emotionally. Wood claimed that he feared him. Archuleta was paroled on October 11th, 1988 and moved to Cedar City to be with Wood. They shared Wood's live-in girlfriend, Brenda Stapley's apartment. So Brenda Stapley is the girlfriend of Wood. And when Archuleta gets paroled, he moves to Cedar City to be with Wood. And they're living in Brenda Stapley's apartment. And they're 
dating Brenda together. No. They're sharing his girlfriend's apartment. Oh. It makes it sound like they're sharing his girlfriend. Yes, it does kind of sound like that. So thanks for clarifying. But Archuleta is trying to be with Wood. No. Not necessarily. Oh, very confusing. They were they were friends, if you will, in the prison, and it doesn't say exactly what physical stuff was happening in prison. Okay, well, I think it's <clears throat> hard because with prison stuff, I think it's easy to jump to. Well, and also, I mean, there's you always hear things like in prison called, like for instance, gay for the stay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gay, but while I'm in prison, I need love. I will because I'm. You know, I need Lonely. love. Yeah. So it says Archuleta quickly got himself a girlfriend also and moved her into the apartment. So now there's four people living in the apartment. Now, interestingly enough, and I don't remember if it mentioned this in here, but by those two living together, they were already um, going against what their parole said like they're breaking parole because they're not supposed to be together so it goes on to say that the two convicts proceeded to live off of their girlfriends this arrangement became increasingly unsatisfactory to stapley who left utah in november for a weekend trip to arizona when she returned on november 21st would learn that stapley had gone to arizona to see another guy would begin drinking heavily with Archuleta, and soon the two couples started brawling when Archuleta's girlfriend sided with Stapley. Kicked out of the apartment, Archuleta and Wood left and walked to Main Street in Cedar City with Wood, according to Archuleta, fuming over being jilted. Archuleta said Wood was, quote, wanting blood, and, quote, he didn't care whose blood it was. On Main Street, they encountered University of Southern Utah drama student Gordon Church, who was parked in his 1978 white Ford Thunderbird at a convenience store. So, um, two guys are mad. They head off down Main Street, and they run into um, Gordon, who was sitting in his um, car. Jeez, I I know I see G's a lot, and I apologize for that, but it just is baffling to me to think about these two guys that are just angry and wanting blood, looking for blood. Like, what the hell? Who are these people? Well, they're convicts. I know, but seriously, not all convicts are terrible. they're not. But come on. So it says... Church had gone out to cruise, so when Wood walked over to church, it was easy for Wood, a tall, blonde, good-looking 19-year-old bountiful boy, to talk him into giving him and Archuleta a ride. Archuleta and Wood talked Church into cruising Main Street in Cedar City, where Angela Robbins and Anne Luce testified that while they were dragging Main Street in Cedar City, they saw Archuleta and Wood riding with Church about 10.15 p.m., The woman said Archuleta and Wood tried to, quote, pick them up, and that Archuleta introduced Church to them after the men followed Robbins and Luce to a parking lot. The occupants of the two cars stopped to talk for about a half an hour, but the women, after flirting, drove off. Robbins and Luce later said they saw Archuleta standing on a Main Street sidewalk and that Church's car had pulled into a nearby convenience store. 
That was the last time anyone remembered seeing Gordon Church alive. After, quote, cruising for a while, Archuleta bought gas for Church's white Ford Thunderbird sometime after 11 p.m. at the Summit Truck Stop, some 10 miles north of Cedar City. From there, Church drove the men up Cedar Canyon and pulled onto a dirt road. Church parked his car, and there Archuleta asked Church if he was gay, and Church said he was. According to Archuleta, that's when everything started to happen. Archuleta admitted that he had oral and anal sex with Gordon Church in Cedar Canyon, but he said when Church made sexual advances towards Wood, Wood initiated the violence by slashing Church's throat with a knife. Church immediately jumped out of the car and began to run away, but Wood tackled Church as he fled, breaking Church's arm. What in the... So Archuleta is gay, from what I'm gathering, it seems like this man is gay. And it seems like he has this struggle with it, you know? And I don't know why Wood took it to the next level, because when you have Archuleta saying that him and Wood were in prison and having these physical... Or was that Wood that said that? So Wood was saying that Archuleta was... Dominating. dominating him physically. Okay, so that makes me feel like Archuleta and him were having sexual relations, whether Wood liked it or not. Possibly. So yeah. I can see them up there, you know, in the canyon. And I don't even know why Wood would be hanging out with Archuleta if that was the case, you know, like this dominating situation in prison. And maybe it just triggered him. Maybe. You know, just another perspective, like maybe it was a triggering thing and all of a sudden he just went nuts. But again, these are different perspectives. So this is That's what true. this is what Archuleta is saying. Happened. Okay, so okay. We I guess we need to hear what Wood says, don't we? So continuing on, he goes on to say, so so now his arm's broken, right? So it says, Lance Wood then grabbed Church by the hair and slashed his neck again with the hunting knife. And just to clarify, in another story, um, originally he he made it look like an X. Because he didn't slash it to the point of, like, death. It just cut him. Okay. I was wondering that because you had said he had already slashed his neck. But it wasn't in like a, I'm going to decapitate you way. No. And another story even said that originally, because again, this is not, there's other stories going on. So the, so one of the other stories was that um, Archuleta slit his side of his throat or whatever with a knife, um, raping him, essentially had sex with him. At knife point. So he, so that's another story. That's another something that somebody's saying where it wasn't consensual. Yeah. And then, and then one of the parts of the story was that Gordon Church just asked him, Hey, just use a condom. Like, he's like, whatever, you're going to do what you're going to do, but Please just use a condom. Yeah. yeah. And then when he r ran off, then that's when he got this, the X slashed in his throat to make it look like just that it was an X and that it wasn't someone trying to kill him. But we'll continue on with 
this story. Okay. So, slashed his neck again with the hunting knife. Supposedly, Archuleta told Lance, quote, we're in trouble. Wood maintained, however, that it was Archuleta who slashed Church's throat in the car as shown of machismo after having sex with him. After Church was subdued with a broken arm and knife wound to the neck, the pair took tire chains, tied Gordon up with them, and threw him in the trunk. Now, one thing to know um, on here, too, is that in another story, that it wasn't just a broken arm, but it was also a broken jaw, too, at this point. So, at this point of the story, he's had been raped, essentially, and had a broken jaw and a broken arm. Oh, my gosh. So... They took tire chains, tied Gordon up with them, and threw him in the trunk of the car. Archuleta maintained that all he really wanted to do was steal his car, so he and Wood drove about 70 miles north of Cedar City and pulled off of I-15 onto a frontage road. From there, the men drove with Church in the trunk of his car, confined, bleeding, and in pain to a secluded location north of Cove Fort known as Dog Valley in Millard County. Prosecutors maintain that they killed Church, quote, because once injured, they couldn't let him go. In asserting the risk, they elected to take his life. Archuleta knew that after helping Wood force the victim into the car trunk, Gordon Church wouldn't live to see the sunrise on November 22nd. Archuleta admitted also that once he and Wood pulled Church from the car trunk, quote, Evil had completely overtaken him, and once they started, he couldn't stop. The men began torturing Church, who was pantless. They attached jumper cables hooked to the car battery and to his testicles to make him scream. What? Yeah, so took jumper cables, put them on his testicles, and put it on the battery as a torturing. I'm convinced that these men are absolute evil, like to their core. It gets worse. I don't. I. I can't even imagine. And it, what make actually? You're saying it gets worse, but what's what's making me more sick is that it was silenced. Yes. Why was this not talked about? This is a huge deal. So, it goes on to say that Archuleta admitted to hooking the cables to the battery, but accused Wood of attaching the battery cables to Church's genitals. He then claimed that Wood twisted Church's neck until Church fell to the ground. So now they're trying to break his neck. And they're not succeeding. No. Archuleta later told a fellow inmate that drugs couldn't compare to the high of killing Church. The inmate said, He told me that it was the ultimate rush. While helpless and defenseless as Gordon Church lying on the ground, Lance Wood started kicking Church in the head with his shoe. Archuleta said, I heard like a smack, something hitting something else. He, Wood, had his foot on Gordon's face and was swinging the jack like a golf club or like a mallet when you play croquet. So they had a, like a tire iron, tire jack. He, he goes on to say, After being struck several times by the jack, Church appeared dead. Archuleta said Lance Wood then stabbed Church in the rectum with a tire iron, puncturing his liver after the murder. Oh my gosh. 
Lance Wood maintained that it was Michael Archuleta who sodomized Church with the tire iron. So after raping him, cutting his neck a couple times, breaking his arm, breaking his jaw, bashing in his head, trying to break his neck, they also stuck the tire iron up his ass and it punctured his liver. That means that they, it wasn't just like, I mean, it's wrong however far they stuck it up there, right? But the fact that they, they, they like went inside of his body, like into his body, yep. feet, like a foot, right? As far as it would go, I My imagine. gosh. This is disgusting. Yep. Horrific. The murderers then dragged Church's badly beaten and half-nude body off the dirt road and covered it with limbs and dirt, got back into Church's car, and drove north to Salt Lake City. Robert Moffitt, owner of Bob's Conoco in Spanish Fork, testified that Archuleta and Wood bought gas from his station at about 5.45 a.m. on the morning of the, uh, November 22nd, saying they looked like they had worked all night. And they were dirty and their clothes wrinkled and soiled. And in another story, um, they were talking because basically their pants were covered in his blood. And they told, and they told somebody that they ran into that they had been rabbit hunting. And that's why they had like blood on their pants. Interesting. So Lance Wood remorseful a day after the slaying and fearful of Archuleta went to the police in Salt Lake City and led investigators to the murder scene. Um, before that, though, it was actually because he went to his, uh, I believe he went to the parole officer, he called them. So I think he told one of the girls first and she said, well, you need to call your probation officer. Yeah. And... Then the probation officer called the cops, and then the cops showed up. So he took him to the the murder scene. The police found Church's body gagged, wrapped in tire chains, nude from the waist down, and buried in a shallow grave south of Dog Valley near I-15 Frontage Road. Michael Archuleta and Lance Wood were tried separately for the murder of Gordon Church. Archuleta was found guilty of first-degree murder on the 20th of December, 1989. All through the trial, he downplayed his involvement in the slaying, implying... A year later? Yeah, implying that his co-defendant, Lance Conway Wood, was the real perpetrator. However, the prosecutor said Archuleta's pants had more blood on them than Wood's pants, and that Archuleta drove Church's car most of the way from Cedar City to Dog Valley. He bought gasoline for the car and he controlled the relationship he had with Wood. The prosecutor maintained that, quote, both Wood and Archuleta were there, both engaged in the execution, which was committed in an especially heinous, atrocious, cruel, and exceptionally depraved manner. Who killed Gordon Church? From the evidence, the answer is clear. The same two people who put Gordon Church in the trunk of his car are the same two people who killed him at Dog Valley. Archuleta showed no emotion when the jury guilty decision was read, but as he was taken from the courtroom, he glared at prosecutor Carvel Harward and yelled at him, I'll see you in hell. The judge chose lethal injection as the means of execution for Archuleta after he was unable to decide between injection and the firing squad. Wait a sec. 
I don't. Did you say that he got the death penalty? I didn't hear you say that. That is what was just said. Wow. Wow. Lance Wood was found guilty on the 11th of March, 1990, but he was given only life imprisonment for the murder of Church. Church's lawyers played the Mormon card so that while Latino Archuleta received the death penalty, Mormon Wood was given life in prison. On that day, I wrote in my journal, Lance Wood was found guilty of murder today in the murder of Gordon Church. I had always thought that he wasn't as guilty as Mike Archuleta, but evidence in the trial purported that he had kicked Gordon in the head several times with such force that his blood and hair had intertwined in Lance's shoelaces. I think it is such irony that the stories about the mention of gays being excluded from the Anne Frank Nazi Holocaust exhibit and that of Lance Wood were on the same newspaper page, juxtaposed towards each other. Bigots trying to teach children not to be bigots. Michael Archuleta has not been executed to date, but suffers from tormented hallucinations. After being arrested, Archuleta said he needed to talk to a psychiatrist about his hallucinations. He said, quote, I was seeing Gordon. He was right there. I could see Gordon saying, why are you doing this to me? I could see Gordon laying on the ground. I could see the shallow grave Gordon was in. I could see myself standing right next to Gordon looking at him. I still see him. His attorney asked Archuleta, you wanted to talk to someone so it would go away? Replied Archuleta, it'll never go away. Good. I'm glad that he is rotting. Wait, he's still not been. So here's the bullshit. You ready for this? Oh, no. Oh, no. So obviously he was found guilty. Now, before I go on to say what I'm about to say, look, I believe in the whole innocent until proven guilty. I believe that there are people who are wrongly accused and are on death row for crimes that they didn't do. But this is not one of those cases. No. This is clear cut. I don't care who was the more involved person in the murder. They both murdered They both this did guy. it. Okay, but wait. I, I just want to have a side thing here just for a second. Yeah. You said you believe in the innocent until proven guilty, and I, I totally get that. But like, what about a situation where it's like a Josh Powell situation? Like, we know. Well, I, I would say that the evidence has proved from him killing his sons and taking his own life that he was involved. Okay. All right. But he was never arrested, so there's not really an innocent until proven guilty because he wasn't... That man, that man was fucking guilty. Let's just, you know. But as far as this goes, so Archuleta has been 30 years on death row. Why? Why do they do that? Because it, they appeal it and then it takes forever. And so right now, his the, the um, lawyers are claiming that he doesn't have the intelligence and so, essentially, you can't put someone who has a lower intelligence to murder. Are you fucking kidding me? That is not... That is ridiculous. It gets worse. Ugh. Okay, Ar Archuleta's a piece of shit, right? He should die. 
I think I think I know where you're going to go with this, and I'm worried. Where do you think I'm going to go? I think you're going to tell me that Wood has been released from prison. No, but Wood has had a lot of weird things going on. So this is a newspaper article that says, Idaho DOC can't stop love. State senator's ex-wife weds prisoner. What? So it says, Lance Conway Wood, 48, was described as a strong-willed inmate with an extensive history of crossing the line who exploits the human weakness of prison staff, according to a federal judge. Wood, however, undoubtedly views himself as a lover and not as an exploiter, and his affections have not been limited to prison employees. Wood has served most of his life sentence in Idaho prisons for the 1988 kidnapping, torture, and slaying of a Utah student. While incarcerated, he has filed multiple federal civil rights actions against prison officials. Wood's relationship with Idaho Department of Corrections guard Sandra DeMartin was the subject of one of those lawsuits. Martin became a prison guard in 2001 and began working in Wood's unit the following year. She had a, quote, reputation for being overly friendly, end quote, with prisoners and quickly pursued Wood. Eventually, a romantic relationship developed between them. They kissed and touched each other, but did not have sexual contact, according to deposition testimony. A few months into their relationship, Wood became upset when he heard rumors that Martin had married. He confronted her because his religious beliefs did not permit him to engage in adultery. Oh, so he's got morals. What? In a sudden, strange twist of events, the man that slaughtered, really, (laughs) jeez. She repeatedly denied the rumors and tried to distract Wood by touching him sexually on several occasions. Wood attempted to end the relationship and asked another guard to convince Martin to stop pursuing him. Wood finally reported her, and he was transferred to a different facility the next day. So, that was 2001. In 2004, Wood filed a federal lawsuit against prison officials because Martin had perpetrated sexual acts on him without his consent. The district court ruled that the consensual nature of the relationship defeated his claim, but, as previously reported in PLN on September 4th, 2012, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed, finding that, quote, the power dynamics between prisoners and guards makes it difficult to discern consent from coercion. And there's actually a uh, case that you can look up. At some point in 2004, Wood was apparently involved with another prison employee named Susan Isaac before falling in love with guard Cheryl Davis in 2006. Wood admitted to a prison chaplain that he was involved with Davis and she, quote, was to be his eternal wife pursuant to his Latter-day Saint beliefs. Oh my gosh, I think I just barfed a little bit. Chapel attendance records indicated, however, that Wood rarely attended LDS services in 2006. Again, there's a case file on that one. In late 2012, Renee Sharon McKenzie met Wood as a result of her involvement in prison reform efforts. Miss McKenzie was a paralegal employed by a law firm founded by her husband, Idaho State Senator Kurt McKenzie, who was running for the state Supreme Court. 
After the Ninth Circuit remanded Wood's case involved his claim against Martin, a jury, jury trial was scheduled for December 2012. About a month before the trial, Wood asked the district court to appoint Renee McKenzie as his legal assistant. Based upon McKenzie's representation and the court's hope that a legal assistant would make the trial run more smoothly, Federal Judge B. Lynn Windmill granted Wood's motion. The court ordered that Renee was not to act in any manner which would constitute the practice of law since she was not an attorney and the McKenzie law firm was not representing Wood. The case ultimately ended in mistrial and Wood moved to have Renee appointed to act as his legal assistant for the retrial. With some reservation due to Miss McKenzie's appearing to go beyond her role as a legal assistant during the first trial, the court granted the motion, but once again admonished Miss McKenzie that she could not act in any manner which would constitute the practice of law. When Renee started visiting Wood in prison, she identified herself as Renee McKenzie with the McKenzie Law Office. Prison officials mistakenly assumed that she was working on Wood's case under the supervision of an attorney, giving her virtually unfettered access to Wood from her November 2012 appointment as his legal assistant. So, basically, <laughs> they were left alone. And How stupid do these people have to be? We don't know what happened. Oh, my gosh. All right, it says, That came to an abrupt halt on February 5th, 2013, when a guard opened and scanned a letter marked legal mail that Wood had sent to Renee, which was returned to the prison as undeliverable. Communications between Wood and Renee were not covered by attorney-client privilege because Renee wasn't an attorney or agent of an attorney representing Wood. The letter was clearly personal, leading the warden to conclude that Renee and Wood were engaged in an inappropriate relationship. Renee's visiting privileges were suspended on February 7, 2013, pending an investigation. Seven days later, on Valentine's Day, the court held a hearing regarding the letter and rescinded its order appointing Renee as Wood's legal assistant. During the three-day period from February 16th to 18th, 2013, prison officials monitored 26 phone calls totaling approximately 11 hours between Wood and Renee. They then reviewed almost 100 hours of unmonitored calls between the pair from December 2012 until February 2013 when they mistakenly believed she was working under an attorney's direction. So, <clears throat> a little bit later down the road, it says that prison officials concluded that at the very least, there was a strong infatuation between Wood and Miss McKenzie, and that it would be dangerous for them to meet in isolation as they had been mistakenly allowed to do previously. Renee later admitted that she and Wood had developed romantic feelings while working together. Here's a quote from her. Quote, I'm not crazy. I was, I was just lonely in a 20-year marriage, she said. I can't help who I fall in love with. Can you prompt? Well, don't, I don't, please, let's just never be lonely, okay, Skylar? <laughs> Do you have a picture of Wood or Archuleta? After, after a lot of... Uh, down the road it says that defying all odds the couple married in early 2015 
Oh, my God. In March 2015, they filed a civil rights action against Idaho prison officials for retaliation, threats, and harassment in response to their efforts to undercover corruption in the IDOC. The lawsuit claims that Wood was subjected to cell searches, falsely accused in, of involvement in an escape plot, and improperly denied access to his legal, legal materials. The case currently remains pending. So, again, this was 2016, but... You have a a guy that murders someone. I would say it's more than murdering, honestly. I, torture, I don't even... murder, <sighs> and he ends up going to jail and having a freaking fantastic time with all these guards, and then yeah, has you know all this time with with Miss McKenzie, senator's and wife, and ends up getting uh, married to her. <sighs> I do you have a picture of any of these people? Maybe I can look him up. I'd really like that. I'd like to see this person. But like, you know how what? the hell is this person swooning so many women? But you know what? Screw that dude. Screw him and screw Archuleta. Right? I I I think it's disgusting and I understand that awful things like this happen. I really do. There's there's lots of cases unfortunately that are sick and twisted, but we know about them. That's what's gross. That's what's disgusting. That's it, That it was shushed under a rug, you know? Don't talk about it. Like, that's what's most disturbing because think about how many people could have possibly been helped if it was talked about. Yeah, and I I wasn't planning on doing a another Utah murder right away, but to be honest, you know, obviously I'm, I'm into like history and Utah history and stuff like that. And there are a lot of crazy murders that have happened in Utah that are obscure too. So, well, I say do them. Like, don't hold yeah. back if that's what you're finding. Yeah. So I'm not opposed to hey, you know, there's five Utah murders in a row or whatever. Um, I, I hope that nobody is annoyed at where they're happening but these are just stories that i've run into i mean it was just such a natural way to hear about a story yeah i really feel like you were supposed to talk about it and tell it i really do and i think it's very relevant still today with all the issues going on in the lgbtq community obviously you and i are huge advocates of that community and um, the suicide rate in Utah is crazy high, especially within that community. So I think that it's extremely important to bring the story to light, um, to let people know not to be, sh- not to feel ashamed of who they are. You know. Yeah, I heard about it five days ago. So. Yeah, I'm like invested into this this kid's life. And I've tried to find out. I've tried to find out more, and there, there is literally only a few articles about it. That's sad. There's not a lot going on. He deserves on. more than that. And so Archuleta is, I think, one of nine uh, inmates that are currently on the death row for Utah. Ugh. And he's not the only one that's been there for thirty years. Why are we paying Most, for this schmuck? I think they even say it, it costs like $700,000 a year to have 
someone on death row. Well, how is that even possible? Because they're segregated. They're not in the same general population. So they have to have special guards. Yeah, I just think that they should just make it happen. Yeah, if they're on, I just, I understand if, I understand the thing about having people that are found guilty when they're not actually guilty. But this is clear. There's no question. There's no question. Why are we paying for this asshole? It just, ugh, it, it it's like makes me want to rage out. I'm so angry for this poor kid that was slaughtered and raped and all the horrible things. It's just sickening. We, they, his fa- everyone has failed him because this story has remained quiet. Like, it's just disturbing that it's not, they're not doing him justice. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the story about Gordon Ray Church. And so this is in memory of him. And let's not forget about it. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that story, ever. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at info at criticaldarkness.com. You can go to the Facebook page, Critical Darkness. You can check us out on Instagram at criticaldarknesspod or on Twitter at criticaldarknesspod. If you have a story that you would like told, or researched and brought to the surface, let us know. Yeah, we try to stick to more, or at least my intention is to do more obscure stories. So, like, I won't be covering major stories um, like Ted Bundy, things like that, necessarily. I do, I could see us talking about things, though, like on many episodes. Yeah, because, I mean, Ted Bundy had a Utah tie. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I could see us talking about doc, dick for different documentaries in mini episodes for yeah. sure. But to give a full-blown story, no. Any last words? All you need is love. All you need is love. Love, love. Love is all you need. On that, till next time. See ya.